Hello, everybody, and welcome to the BearCast Media Bengals Podcast. I am Justin Cashman alongside Alex Frank, and today we have a very, very special guest for you. He is a senior writer and podcast host for The Athletic. He's been covering the Bengals since 2009, and you can catch his uh, podcast, hear that podcast ground alongside with co-host Shay Morrison at TheAthletic.com and on the app. He's none other than Paul Daner Jr. Thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. What's going on, guys? Paul, this is a... Uh... Uh, great to have you on. Obviously, great work you do, you and Jay, for The Athletic. Uh, we, we've been reading a lot of your off-season articles, which is bulletin board material for today's show. And Justin, since you did the very fancy introduction there for uh, our guest, Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic, I'll have you uh, fire away with the first question. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, Paul. I know with your busy schedule, it's always nice to you know take time and uh, have people join us. But uh I know with uh, free agency and the draft coming up that there's still a lot to talk about. And um, one thing in particular I really wanted to ask you was, so you mentioned in a recent article that the Bengals are expected to cut Bobby Hart. It's going to save them about $6 million. Um, But then you follow that up that they're going to be looking to make a major upgrade at tackle. Um, I know there's some free agent guys, Taylor Moten, um, Trent Williams, Daryl Williams. Um, Who are some guys that you think we could look at uh, for the Bengals to go after in free agency? Talking with Paul Daner, Jr. of The Athletic here on the BearCast Media Bengals podcast. Paul, you mentioned the current offensive linemen uh, with the Cincinnati Bengals and the ones that need to improve. So recently, Paul, in an article that you wrote, you you, you categorized the 65 players um, and you categorized them by future core, will be here for just next season, needs to improve, and then basically those who are going to be cut. You've mentioned several offensive linemen that need to improve, and I definitely agree that there are a lot excuse me, on this roster that need to improve, uh, which ones do you ultimately think will improve this offseason and next season in 2021, and which ones will not, and by the end of next season will definitely no longer be with the team? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think what you're looking at, I mean, 
complete with Trey Hopkins coming back from his ACL that he had in the finale. So they'll probably need Billy Price for at some point. I think there's enough comfort for what he is at, at center to play for a few games until they get Hopkins back. So, okay, so there's center and there's left tackle. It really, you, I'm under the assumption that you're going to see two veterans come in on the right side of the line, or at least one to play guard and one to play right tackle. I don't know if they'll be the top of the free agency board or further down, but I think you'll see a couple guys sign that are expected to come in and start right away. That leaves one position, really. It leaves the other guard spot. And you have a couple of different options. There's Xavier Sufilo. I think I'd have the most confidence in plugging him in as your starter uh, week one next year. They, I think they have a desire to bring back Quentin Spain. I think it, he would he'd probably be comfortable enough uh, with him a, as a starter there, too. Um, you know, the need the really so much of this goes back to Michael Jordan, who there was just a lot of hope for that could really be the guy they needed on the inside of the line. Powerful, could pass, protect, all these things. They, they traded up for him in the fourth round. Everybody in the building was betting on him really becoming a guy this year. And, and the opposite happened. He regressed. Uh, he was benched. I mean, you know, he's now gone multiple, two years in a row in the league getting benched. And then obviously very prominently was the guy who got uh, thrown in the Joe Burrow's uh, knee, and so uh, you know, I have all eyes on him. I don't necessarily see it coming, but you know, there was enough belief in the building that you could see him being a real left guard, and and he maybe he could he could show up and win a competition there. They certainly would love to see him emerge. He has the biggest ability to be somebody, you know. Uh, other than what he is. I mean, we know who Xavier Sufilo is. We know who Quentin Spain is for the most part. I don't think we know, or they hope they don't know, what Michael Jordan's top end is. So he's really the, the biggest one to watch, to see if he can finally find some of the development they were betting on. And you mentioned that, you know, they feel comfortable bringing back Quentin Spain, and obviously they'll have Xavier Sufilo back. Um and in the article, you mentioned that you're about 80% confident that the Bengals will sign two starting caliber offensive linemen in for agency. Now, do you see the Bengals maybe spending upwards of $13, $14, 15000000 million on a guy like Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf? Hard to know. I mean, you know, I, I would think that money would more likely be spent on a right tackle. Um, historically, you know, you look at what they value, they what they think. You know, they've they've never really been willing to go there with guard. That doesn't mean they couldn't still go there at a level of eight to ten million dollars for somebody a little further down a guard, and that would be, uh, you know, that would be much more than they typically spend there. But that money you mentioned, you know, going up to the top, uh, I think they'd be willing to do that with a right tackle. And I don't know how many guys outside of you know Williams and Bolton are probably. The main two that would be that would warrant that that you would pay that much money that are out there. Um, so you know maybe it's it, if it is it's one of those. I, it's a good question. I mean it would be them differentiating. To me, it's a big thing to look at for this entire offseason. Are they willing to differentiate from who they have been as a franchise organizationally? in order to take care of Joe Burrow and understand that as the number one top priority of this offseason. And I think, you know, we'll find out where they land. I don't know that they've landed on that decision for sure yet. We know the history here, but we also have a new um, a new coaching staff and one that had an offseason that looked a whole lot different than previous ones last year. So there's a, there's a chance that they come in and their influence uh, brings about a new philosophy. So I guess we'll all find out together a little bit. We're talking with Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic. We'll get to the coaching staff in a minute, Paul, but there's one player who the Bengals have spent money on recently, and that, of course, is 
running back Joe Mixon, who they signed to a four-year, $48 million extension last off last off season, right before the season started. Then Mixon misses uh, the last 10 games of the season following a foot injury sustained in Week 6 at Indianapolis. This is, Paul, the second time that he's been injured throughout his career, but it's really the first time that he has missed significant time due to an injury. Two years ago, he only missed two games, and he came back, and he was uh, spectacular down the uh, down the stretch, even though the Bengals as a team were not. Paul, how should we feel? Should we be concerned about Joe Mixon after this injury, or because it's just really the first major injury of his career, we really don't have to be concerned about Joe Mixon's health going forward? Uh. You know, I, I think you see guys get hurt all the time and come back and be just fine. You just get nervous when it's running backs and then just thing like the foot. And if there was a little more transparency on a Bengals side of things on what ha- exactly happened with Mixon and why it became this weekly deal of will he, won't he, leaving the door open, maybe he can come back, but not sure. I think maybe you wouldn't have any reason to doubt that by the time next year comes around be back. He's certainly excited about Frank Pollock and ready to be the guy again. And, you know, he seems to be in a pretty good place with it. Um, but I, we just never really have heard much forthrightness about what exactly is going on there. And so when that happens, my, you know, my antennas go up with a pause. I, I'm not saying that I think there's reason to be worried. I just, it's just one of those things that I personally don't like it when you see that. And now he could be fine. It's a foot injury, go out there and, and play great. And it was obviously enough where they were even thinking about bringing him back last year. So sure, he all things should be fine. I think for the most part, I don't think you should have much worry. Guys get hurt all the time. Uh, he can come back and have a great year. I'm just saying doubt about that. I just, I just have some pause that I take when there's not as much transparency, particularly when you get into the idea of, of injured running backs. Don't mind if I follow up with this. What do you think was the injury? We know we were told it was a foot injury, but you mentioned the lack of transparency from the Bengals organization, Zach Taylor, at his press conferences every week. What do you think really was the situation with Joe Mixon and why he ultimately missed the rest of the season following that Colts game? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. we don't know. I mean, there's, it's, it's a, it's, there's a lot of different foot injuries that happen, some that are very serious and some that are, are not. So, um, you know, we, we don't, we just don't know that. And so, I mean, there's a lot of different things it could have been, and it's hard to know exactly what it was. And something that the Bengals haven't, or, uh, haven't been transparent on is their desire to bring back, uh, impending free agents, Carl Lawson and William Jackson, something that Zach Taylor just recently said in his Q and a with Jay Morrison, um, was he'd love to have both those guys back. Um, Paul, do you see maybe the Bengals being interested in bringing one guy more than another back, or do you think that they, um, you know, maybe put one guy in the franchise tag, maybe sign the other to a long-term extension? Do they let one go and the other uh, bring the other back? How do you see, um, you know, their top two free agents uh, playing out this offseason? I think more than likely one goes and one stays. I, I think, um, you know... I, it's, it's hard to see a way that they can fit them both and still do other things that they want to do. So my my guess is they probably end up being able to get one done. Um, I also I, I tend to think it will be Carl Lawson over William Jackson the third. That is is my gut speaking more than any inside intel here. I mean I just I don't know that William Jackson has always felt at home here. Um, and I could just very easily see him wanting uh, maybe a little bit more of a change of scenery, whereas I think 
I can see Carl Lawson being happy to come back. Um, and, and they need a pass rush. <laughs> they just have none. And they have better options at corner. So if I was putting my money down, if you were asking me to make a bet, I would say that. But it's free agency, man. Wild things happen. And, you know, you talk about Zach Taylor saying he would love to have them both back. And you've heard that from a lot of different places. I, I learned my lesson a long time ago with Andrew Whitworth. Never believe anything any team is telling you on the lead up to free agency. You just don't know what is really going on behind scenes. Because we heard everything under the moon from every single person person over and over again about how much they wanted to bring back Whitworth and all that stuff back in the in, in that free agency period. We all know how that ended up. So I tend to uh, I tend to take most things that that staff members say about pending free agents with a grain of salt in that regard. Yeah, and look at what just happened with uh, the Rams, and uh, we didn't know if they if Jared Goff was going to go back. And even after signing an extension, Jared Goff ended up being traded. To the Detroit Lions, so you are right, Ball. We, we really do never know what is going to happen until we get to free agency. Now, let's go back to the offensive line. So, not only did the Bengals get absolutely obliterated in their regular season finale against the Ravens, but they also lost for the definitely their best offensive lineman in Trey Hopkins to a torn ACL. And a torn ACL is, is difficult to come back from regardless of position, but for a bigger guy like an offensive lineman, you never know how that can affect him. And if he's not able to start the season, Paul, and let's say Billy Price, who Frank Pollock really, really likes, if Billy Price gets off, has a solid first few games in 2021, is Trey Hopkins' job potentially in jeopardy when he returns? I don't think so. I think that they, you know, they love... Uh, Trey, they love what he brings. They love his his mental makeup as a center and sort of a you know cerebral core of the team type guy. So I, I don't I don't think his job will be in jeopardy at all. I think when he's healthy, he'll come back. They they like him. They you know they invested him. They gave him an extension right after last year ended because or excuse me the twenty nineteen season ended because they they want him to be that guy in the middle and, and they like his pairing with Burrow. You know, two really highly intellectual guys, particularly when you get into protections and things like that. Uh, you know, you want you kind of want them working together. So I, I I don't see his job in jeopardy, no. Yeah, and uh, it's uh, Billy Price was obviously very happy that uh, Frank Pollock was being brought back as offensive line coach and run game corner as co- coordinator, as well as uh, Trey Hopkins and Joe Mixon. Um, and from the sounds of it, it sounded like Mike Brown was very uh, crucial. And uh, making sure that players were really happy, um, you know, bringing back Frank Pollock, you know, it sounded like he asked them, who would you like to bring back? Um, you know, who do you think is the best fit for this job? Um, and a lot of the guys said Frank Pollock. Um, as far as free agency goes, do you think that Mike Brown, um, obviously he has a final say, but do you think now after, you know, two um, losing seasons by Zach Taylor that Mike Brown is being, um, you know, having his hand more in, you know, the coaching signings and the player signings more than Zach Taylor? Um, or has Mike Brown always been uh, the guy who's going to end up being the, um, you know, main proprietor of who they sign as coaches and free agents? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, I think he's kind of always going to be wanting to uncover every angle of, of all these moves. I mean, he lives for this stuff. I mean, he's, he's interested and it doesn't necessarily mean that he's calling the shots one way or the other. I think everybody wanted to know, you know, what your players think when you're considering different options at a high profile spot like that. Um, you know, so I, you know, I don't think it, it signals anything. I don't think it signals anything 
has changed. She's always going to be involved uh, in some capacity, um, you know, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I still think he's of the opinion of letting the coach he hired do the job and, and take things in, in whatever this new direction is. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that idea has is that there's some signal of change because he was seeking input necessarily um, in regards to Frank Pollock. Talking with Paul Daner, junior senior writer and podcaster for the athletic uh, Paul, let's talk about the coaching staff. Obviously we have two new assistants that we know Frank Pollock, obviously offensive line, Marion hobby on the defensive line. I'm a big fan of Marion Hobby because I was looking at the players that he had developed at Clemson, most notably because he's not with the Bengals' DJ Reader, but you also can throw in Vic Beasley Jr., who at one point was maybe the best pass rusher in the NFL, and then Grady Jarrett. Both those guys contributed to a tenacious pass rush on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, what do you make of Marion Hobby, and can this defensive line, who struggled getting to the quarterback, particularly in the AFC North alone, where... The Bengals struggled against some really stout offensive lines. So what do you make of Marion Hobby, Paul, and can he get this defensive line to start pressuring Mayfield, Big Ben, if he returns, or whoever the Steelers quarterback is next year, Lamar Jackson, and all the quarterbacks they face next year? Uh, if he gets better players, yeah. I mean, I don't think, you know, I just don't. And I'm sure Marion Hobby is great. And it's a defensive line coach. You know, it's important. Every coach is important to keep their guys on board and develop and and all that stuff. I just, I, I'm not gonna. I probably don't subscribe to the idea that a defensive line coach is gonna have all that much difference. Um, I, I don't. I, you know, it's different. Offensive line is different. There's so much of the continuity and all this stuff that involves. I mean, defensive line get the quarterback right. Run fit your gap it's it's simple it's 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 much more simplistic than it is when you get into the complexities of the offensive line room and that's not trying to undersell how tough it is to play defensive line in this league i just think it's much more about personnel it's much more about the players and to think that a coach is going to come in and suddenly things are going to be invigorated and developed maybe you can help develop and, and certainly assist um, with some guys, I don't think there's any debate about that. There can be you can have an effect, but not one that's going to be so drastic that it changes the fact that they've only had 48 sacks the last two years, dead last in the NFL. Um, you know, they need better players. They need guys who can actually pass rush up front. Um, they need to be younger, more dynamic there, and, and that is what will make the difference uh, far, far more than than anything that Marion Hobby can even do. And I would like to. I would think that he would probably admit the same to you. And, you know, with you saying that you expect the Bengals to bring back Carl Lawson um, and then obviously, you know, maybe spending a significant amount of money on the offensive line and free agency, um, do you think they'll set aside money uh, for, you know, free agents on the defensive line or do you think that's something they'd rather target in the draft? Uh, I think, you know, that's in play. I mean, there's just, it's a matter of who's out there and what you can get. But, you know, I think they'll take new players, particularly in the interior. I mean, they just got absolutely from their defensive interior as far as pass rush goes so i you know i they'll be interested in it i mean you, you everybody has their priority list and and if you choose if you're going for one and you're hunting one position and it doesn't turn out and so you move your your eyes into a different direction and to put in your plan B, that plan B might be an aggressive push for a, a, a you know, a three technique to put next to DJ reader. You know, I think that's certainly possible. Um, so 
it's you don't know. I mean, I think they're going to have new blood on the interior of that defensive line, in particular, at, at least. And I would expect them to draft one of these edge rushers. The edge rusher heavy top of the draft is coming. If one of their first three picks is an edge rusher, I'd be fairly surprised. I think you'd see a, a couple new faces in there for sure in, in that part of their rotation next year. I know we're running a little bit short on time here with Paul Daner, Jr., senior writer and podcaster for The Athletic Ball. i got to ask about the franchise quarterback, Joe Burrow. Obviously, he's in, he's knee-deep, that's no pun intended, uh, into his rehab. Uh, he's expected to maybe throw a little bit this month, run on the underwater treadmill. Paul, it feels like to me that the way this this process is going for Joe Burrow, that there's something in the air that just tells me he's going to be out there by week one. He said it. Uh, on Colin Coward's show, I believe him when he says that, that he will be out there for week one. And it wouldn't shock me if he was better, if he ends up being better than he was before the injury. It just feels like there's something in the air of positivity with all this. Do you agree? And if so, why? Oh, yeah, I do. And I, but I don't think it's necessarily the air of positivity. I think it's the air of, you know, what you've heard from from his surgeon, Dr. Neil Alatrash, to him, to the team. I mean, it, it's it, while it was gruesome looking, and while there was extensive damage and all that stuff, everything that has come out of it has been, it has been as good as it could possibly be to this point. And what we know of ACL recoveries, ACL timelines, and the way players typically recover from this type of thing is that it's very fair in the, in the it, to think that he would be back by the first of the year and and you know i now i don't know anything about him being better i worry you know about the mental side of of standing in the pocket for a guy who's so dependent and one of his true weapons is his pocket presence what how will that change after having gone through that i, I don't know i i worry about the adjustment to that um but as far as being healthy enough yeah i, I think that's um it, you know what we know of these timelines it's it's that's a very there's good reason to be positive i mean there's no no reason to believe that he wouldn't fall in line where most have fallen in line when they're at this point with this type of injury well paul we don't want to take up any more of your time we really appreciate you coming on today um and you know we would love to have you back on another time and uh you know we uh, you know i hope you know that we're reading your stuff and we really love reading it and uh you know best of luck moving forward absolutely thanks guys appreciate it yep paul Danner jr senior writer and podcaster for the athletic joining us today and uh you know that was a fantastic interview with uh i mean he he writes on a level that (laughs) i mean I struggle sometimes to understand. I mean, it feels like he's not even talking about football. Doesn't it feel that way when you ever when you read Paul? And I mean that in a in a in a very good way. But like you read Jay and Paul, and you know Paul just his knowledge of football, his knowledge of the organization, it's incredible. Yeah, and I remember when I first started to read Paul. Um, you know that was the whole reason why I got a subscription to uh, the Athletic was to listen to his podcast through that Growling podcast, which you can catch on theathletic.com or the Athletic app um, with co-host Jay Morrison. Um, was just because of their insight and you know their style of writing is just so um, you know it's so attractive and it's so you know fun to read and I think that they do a fantastic job and you know just him coming on this podcast you can tell how smart he is and how uh, you know good at his job that he is. He's been covering the Bengals for nine years. He uh, covered the Bearcats for a little bit prior to his arrival at the Cincinnati Enquirer with the Bengals. And by the way, for those listening, as Justin, you alluded to, and I've mentioned 
Um, I think I mentioned this during the show. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, please do yourself a favor and do so. It is the best sports journalism there is. There's no fluff. And the, the best quote that I've read about The Athletic, it was Andy Staples. You know Andy Staples used to be with Sports Illustrated. Now he's with The Athletic, of course, covers college football and college basketball. Andy Staples said, we don't tell you what happened in a game. We tell you how and why something in that game happened. And that is uh, just, uh, that's what you want in sports journalism. No longer do you get the, the fluffy recap of, well, here's what happened. Here's a summary of the game. No, we're going to tell you the most important thing that happened. And we'll weave some stuff, we'll weave some stats in there, how we got to that point. Again, how we got to a certain point. That's what The Athletic is all about. Paul Daniel Jr. and Jay Morrison do a fantastic job with The Athletic. So, um, I'm trying to think of what we can talk about today because... I, I mean, I know one thing in particular that I might not be as happy about as you are. Um, and that's Paul saying that, you know, when we were discussing whether or not they might bring back William Jackson and Carl Lawson. Yes. He said if he had to put his money on it that they would bring back Thank Carl you. Lawson and not William Jackson. He said that William Jackson necessarily might as not might have not felt at home in Cincinnati. Uh, maybe he hasn't felt at home, you know, here his entire career, or maybe that was just the last year or so. I'm not really sure. Um, I obviously have a much higher opinion of William Jackson III, as you do, Alex. And, uh, you know, I guess with, um, you know, you're going to have to give those guys a lot of money. And, you know, with Trey Waynes coming back, Darius Phillips playing very well down the stretch. Um, you know, I, I understand that. And Carl Lawson is obviously the uh, best pass rusher on a group that's not very good. But, um, you know, unfortunately, I think that he's probably right. You know, William Jackson might not return. But um, I guess we'll see what happens in the draft, what happens in free agency. Maybe they'll bring in another guy, a slot corner. But we'll see because maybe they want Darius Phillips playing on the outside. Maybe they want him playing on the inside. I guess it's just way too early to tell right now. Look, the and I, I was talking to you about this before we came on today, why I would want Carl Lawson back over William Jackson. If you're going, whatever the front office decides to do, I think, and Paul, Dan, and Paul mentioned this, they're going to extend one and they're going to franchise tag another. It would be beyond wise to extend Carl Lawson and franchise tag William Jackson. You need to franchise tag William Jackson because he needs to prove that he can be here and even if he, I mean, even if he does, and he ends up, you know, not coming back in 2022. Hey, have you ever heard of this thing called trading? You could, I mean, you could do that. But at the end of the day, Carl Lawson needs to be re-signed for this reason. When when I think of the AFC North, I think of the three teams ahead of the Bengals right now: the Browns, the Steelers, and the Ravens. And by the way, why we talk about the division a lot is because look. If you want to become a contender, the first thing you have to do is you have to win your division. you got to be able to compete within your own division. Then we can talk about, okay, how can you compete with the rest of the of the conference? In the, in the AFC North alone, there were three teams that made the playoffs last year. Three teams that won at least 11 games. Uh, the Steelers won 12. Ravens and Browns each won 11. The Ravens and Browns both win their playoff games. The Steelers, uh, the Browns beat the Steelers. And then both teams lose the Ravens and Browns in the divisional round. But nonetheless, very successful seasons for all three teams. When you think of those three teams, at least when I think of those three teams, I think of the offensive lines that they have, and they're incredibly stout offensive lines. Look at the Browns. Last year, they went from 2019 having one of the worst offensive lines in the league 
to having one of the best offensive lines in the league, and Baker Mayfield was rarely sacked. I mean, you think about who they brought in, Jack Conklin, and then you you know, Wyatt Teller was the was he like the highest graded player in football by Pro Football Focus? I believe so. You think about, you know, JC Shredder at center, you think about Joe Petonio, longtime left guard. They draft Dietrich Wills in the first round, top ten. He blossomed into a great, you know, left tackle, you know, phenomenal rookie season. You think about the Browns, you think about the Ravens offensive line, Ronnie Stanley's gonna come back next year. They the Ravens extended him. They have Orlando Brown Sr. Or is it Orlando Brown Jr.? I always forget that. But Orlando Brown, put it to you that way. DJ Fluker uh, on the right side. They have a they have a very, very solid offensive line, the Ravens. And then the Steelers, they've always traditionally had a solid offensive line. When you think of the AFC North and you think about the offensive lines that the other three teams have, wouldn't that tell you, wouldn't that tell you yes, spend money on an offensive lineman in free agency, but also understand, hmm, we need a pass rusher that can beat those offensive linemen and get to the quarterback. And the Browns had a great, uh, you know, blueprint for how they handled their offensive line was it was a good mix of, you know, veterans and free agents and, you know, guys that they drafted. You know, they got Jack Conklin in free agency from Tennessee. They drafted Dredgick Wills, I think, with what was it, the eighth or ninth pick overall in the draft. I want to say it was the ninth pick. Yeah, and then they also had a mix of other guys on the interior that were both already there and in free agency. So, um, you know, even though their pass-catching group wasn't necessarily the best, Odell Beckham going down with an ACL injury in the second game against the Bengals, um, you know, the best receiver in that group was Jarvis Landry. Um, and one could argue that the Bengals already have a better pass-catching group and T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd uh, mixed in with a guy like Auden Tate in there uh, than the Browns. And so I think, you know, Paul Danner Jr. obviously said that he sees that the Bengals going after a right tackle in free agency. Now he didn't necessarily say um, which guy in particular, but I mentioned a few names, Trent Williams, Taylor Moten, Daryl Williams. Um, he said, yeah, all those guys are in play. And so if the Bengals... You know, maybe they wanted to go after one of those guys and then also draft a guy like Panay Sewell, draft a guy like Rashawn Slater, who actually has guard and center flexibility. Um, you know, that would just automatically bolster that offensive line, you know, tenfold because, uh, you know, it might not be just one offensive lineman in free agency that's going to get you to where you want to be, but it's also going to be the draft, not just the first and second round, but third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh. Um, and then you also have a mix of guys that have already been there, Jonah Williams, um, you know, Trey Hopkins or Billy Price and or Billy Price maybe uh, at the beginning of next year at center. Um, you know, it sounds like Quentin Spain and Xavier Suofilo are going to be back. So it's a very interesting, um, you know, it's a very interesting scenario. There's a few interesting scenarios of what could happen. But I think, you know, if the Bengals were to follow the Browns blueprint of, you know, signing guys in free agency and going after a guy as a top pick in the draft, it really would not hurt because um, if they did that and they already have a better receiving core than the Browns, you know, I think that's a really good recipe for success for next year. The more external competition that you can have in training camp, and what I mean by that is you can't just have competition from the guys that you already have on your on your roster at the offensive line. No, you need to bring guys in the free agency, guys in the draft to create that competition with guys that you already have because what you have right now simply is not adequate enough to compete with the um, and, and not only you don't what you have right now is not adequate enough to compete within the AFC North because not only does our division Justin have stout offensive lines. Think about the pass rushers that are in our division. So not only do you need a pass rusher to complement to uh, get after the quarterback and compete against those offensive lines. You think about 
The Browns have Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon. The Ravens have, I mean, their entire defensive line can rush the quarterback, let's be honest. And then the Steelers have TJ Watt and Bud Dupree. Again, you're seeing, and, and this is the AFC, and this has traditionally been the AFC North since its inception way back in 2002. It's a very physical division. The Bengals, at times, have been able to handle it and handle it well, but there are other times where they look like they don't belong on the same field. When you see the offensive line bullying the, the Bengals' defensive line, whether it be from Pittsburgh or Baltimore, and then you see, you know, and we saw it with Andy Dalton and Carson Palmer, and we've seen it a little bit with Joe Burrow. They can't handle their ferocious pass rushers. Not, I'm not going to say that the quarterbacks can't. I mean, they can't, but it's the offensive lines. In, it's the offensive lines' inability to protect the quarterback against those ferocious pass rushers. You realize? Go back to 2002. The Bengals have won four division titles. The Browns have not won a division title. So it's been 19 seasons. The Steelers and the Ravens have combined for 15 division titles. And why do you think they've won those division titles? Desire to get the best players available in free agency in the draft and trade. Yes, and because they are built to win in this division. Yeah. I mean, you see, you look at why the Steelers and the Ravens games are always so physical, and then you watch them play in years past against the Bengals and Browns, and the Bengals and Browns sometimes couldn't even compete with them. Now, the Bengals have been... The, when Marvin Lewis was here, this was an article I read back in November... It was written by Dan Pompey in The Athletic. And Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown, for as good of a relationship as they had, obviously good enough for Marvin Lewis to be here for 16 seasons as the head coach of the Bengals. But I think about, Justin, one thing that Mike Brown, he always tended to, and they drafted receivers and skilled players, corners, towards the back end of Lewis's tenure. But Marvin Lewis knew what this... You know, Marvin Lewis knew what the Bengals needed, and Mike Brown didn't listen to him. So, see, you, we, we criticize Marvin Lewis, but he knew what the Bengals needed to compete. Mike Brown just simply, because he has the final say, Mike Brown did not. That's what happened towards the end of Lewis's tenure here. And I think that, you know, after so many years of losing that, you know... Um you know, I think Mike Brown was finally putting his foot down and saying, listen, I'm going to be the guy that's going to, you know, really have the final say on a lot of these things. And I know Paul just said that um, really he's going to let, you know, whoever he hires as head coach to have the, um, you know, say in who he brings in as, um, you know, his for his coaching staff and other players. But, uh, you know, it's sometimes you might have to question that because I think that um, Mike Brown really has a lot of, you know, more influence on this coaching staff and the players that uh, make up the team as, you know, it sounds like more than Zach Taylor, at least in my opinion. Obviously, Paul more knows more than I do, but that's just what it seems like from the last few years. Um, and so, you know, like you like you said, Alex, offensive line and, def, you know, defensive line, it, that's what's going to win you games in this division. Um, you know, when you have your best defensive end on the team, your best defensive player arguably um only getting you know five six sacks in a season that's not going to get you anywhere uh i mean i know they had some injuries dj reader was obviously out uh you know sam hubbard missed some games um but you know atkins was never really healthy at all um and he just you know got too old but um 
You know, that's that is just not going to cut it. You have to go out and get some guys that are going to help you win some games. I don't care if it costs you, you know, over $10 million a year. I don't care if it costs you over $15 million a year. Whatever's going to win you games is all that matters because at the end of the day, um, no one's going to remember, um, you know, you for signing, um, you know, a, you know, a couple average guys and you only win six games, they're going to remember if you sign a, a big name guy and he helps you get 15 sacks and leads you to the playoffs. Um, you know, that's really the, all, all that matters at, at the end of the day. You think about, I mean, look at what the Bears did three years ago. They signed Khalil Mack. They, did they trade for him? Was that a free agent signing? It could have been I a free they, agent signing. I think they traded for they tra- him. They traded for Khalil Mack. Okay. Yeah, they gave up draft picks, but as Colin Coward says, no one remembers what they gave up. They remember what they got. Khalil Mack was incredible in that 2018 season. And look what happened to the Bears. Oh, funny. They went 12-4 and four and won the division. <gasps> Imagine what happens when you spend money on big-name free agents. Heck, Ken Brew, longtime uh, news anchor here in Cincinnati, now retired, now uh, weekend host on 700 WLW. I work with him. He's great to work with. He said, why don't the Bengals look at maybe signing J.J. Watt? Yeah, it's going to be expensive. But can you imagine getting J.J. Watt? That right there is an immediate and exorbitant upgrade from what you have currently. Yeah, I've also gone over that in my head too, you know, bringing J.J. Watt. I think it put a lot of people in the stands. Um, You know, I think it'd sell a lot of tickets, but, you know, J.J. Watt is 31. He only had five sacks this past year. Four before that, he can never seem to really stay healthy. Um, Yeah. Obviously, he had 16 sacks a couple years ago, but, um, you know, he's really... Um, you know, I think for the amount of money that you're going to have to give them, I don't think that it's necessarily worth it. I'd rather go and get a guy, maybe like a Bud Dupree, maybe a guy like Matthew Judon. Um, you know, I don't know if those guys necessarily fit the schemes, but at the end of the day, you're still getting one of the best edge rushers in football. Um, you know, and there's more guys on the line, Ryan Kerrigan. Um, you know, I, you're going to pay him a lot less money than JJ Watt, even though it's going to be similar production. Uh, so I, maybe he's an option. I mean, maybe they trade for a guy. You never know, which is probably not likely at all. But um, comes from just knowing, knowing the league. You can focus on your team all you want, but you have to know what's going on around you. Exactly, and I, that's something that I don't think the Bengals. You know, maybe the last few years they haven't really been uh, up to date. You know, they they're not signing the best and uh, most premier offensive defensive linemen in the uh, in the NFL. And then you see three of the other teams from your division make the playoffs, and you go, hmm, maybe they did it right. Maybe they're doing something right over there, and maybe uh, they have a recipe for success that we don't have. And what's that? Signing the best players at their respective positions in football. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at what the Browns did. What I mean, who'd they sign? Jack Conklin. Look what happened. Uh, Olivier Vernon. Yep. Uh, look at the Ravens. Going out and get Calais Campbell. They got Odell. Browns stick at Odell. Who knows that's going to work? Who knows if he's going to be back the next year? Jarvis Landry. Yeah, sorry. What I'm saying is, but what I'm saying to you is, like, uh, did the Ravens need Calais Campbell? No. No, but they got him. Did they need Yannick Ngakwe? No. But they got I him. About, I forgot about that. Oh, God. Uh, anyway, so, okay, going back to going back to where we first went with this, man, again, it's just knowing, knowing the market, knowing who's available. You, you, you have to, you know, be thorough evaluators and i've never trusted this organization to do that like I, I think about you know the only team right now who is worse than the Bengals is the houston texans i mean what their front office is doing quite frankly is just is, is fraud they should be tried for 
whatever. Deshaun Watson ought to hire a, a, a lawyer. I mean, because he has every right to, you know, want to trade. I mean, Justin, think about, I mean, if Mike Brown's going around asking his players, hey, who do you want as our offensive line coach? Hmm, maybe Cal McNair should try that. Because did they try that when they hired Nick Casario as their GM? No. Did they, um, first off, the head coach they hired, what experience does he have? Yeah, he's 65 years old, but he's, has he been a coordinator before? No. I mean, I think that you look at the Texans and you say, and you're as a Bengals fan, well, at least we're not dumb. And how many times as a Bengals fan have you gotten the chance to say that? Uh, we used to do it all the time with the Browns. I will say one thing, though. The Bengals do have a, uh, you know, they they respect their players. They honor their players. You know, they, you know, they really... Um, like bringing guys that they're really familiar with back. It's almost like a family. And while that isn't always necessarily the best for business, uh, it is something that you can say is a positive. And the Texans... Uh, it's only a positive when you're winning, though. When you when you uh, tell Deshaun Watson that he's going to have a say in who they're going to hire as GM and head coach, and then that does not happen whatsoever. Um, I couldn't imagine that happening between Joe Burrow and Mike Brown because I think Mike Brown would at least honor Joe Burrow uh, saying that he wants to have a uh, you know say if they had a GM and head coach opening. Well, they didn't do that with Palmer. They kind of didn't listen to what Carson Palmer wanted. Maybe Mike Brown has learned from that because ultimately Palmer got uh, ran. Uh, Palmer wanted out of here by t- by the end of the 2010 season, which, which which was a shame. I was thinking about this too. I I, I wish I had that Sports Illustrated cover so. Back in 2000, in the 06 off, in the 05-06 offseason, so 15 years ago, Palmer's obviously rehabbing from the injury he suffered in the playoffs against Pittsburgh. And there's an article written by the great Michael Silver of Sports Illustrated. I, I, I have every Sports Illustrated cover from 2006 at my house back in Springboro, except that one. And I know the exact date that the magazine came out. I've read the article online, and... It's what Palmer went through was more grueling than what Joe Burrow's going through right now because Palmer's injury happened in the playoffs, and he said, "I remember Marvin Lewis and his wife. Marvin Lewis and his wife, Marvin's wife Peggy, they go to Palmer's house after the game, after the playoff game, and Palmer said, you know, let's get the surgery over with. He didn't want to wait because he, excuse me, he knew." If he was out there, that the Bengals were going to have a chance to win. Big. So he put enormous pressure on himself to be back by week one, which he was. And he had a great season that 2006 season. Burrow is way ahead of where he needs to be from what we've been reading and hearing. And and his injury occurred a month and a half earlier than Palmer's did. But it's just fascinating to me. I was just thinking about Carson Palmer, what he went through, and Joe Burrow's going to you know, be on the underwater treadmill coming up. He's going to be throwing soon. So it just got me thinking about Carson Palmer. And he comes back, what, seven months after the injury? He throws for three touchdowns in the third preseason game. In the third preseason game. And he also did a, a quarterback run and then slid on the knee that he injured. So Mike Brown hopefully has learned from what happened with Carson Palmer. And if Joe Burrow, you know, wants something, you have to 
um, give him what he, what he, you have to honor what he's saying. But I also think you saw it last year in, in the free agency in the signings. I think Mike Brown knows already he has to go all in. I would agree because uh, you know I remember before Joe Burrow got injured, we heard about the letter that Mike Brown sent to Joe Burrow and his family, basically expressing um, his gratitude. Um, you know, and his uh, desire to have Joe Burrow on the team and how excited he is. And, you know, I just thought in my head is like, I have never once heard about something like that from Mike Brown before to a, uh, you know, a, a top pick. But, you know, maybe he has, but, you know, it wouldn't make news, I guess, or it, hasn't, it didn't make news. But, um, you know, the, Mike Brown and this organization are completely bought in on Joe Burrow. Um, and for good reason, you know, he is the future of this organization. He is the future of this team. Um, you have to let him have a say and um, who you guys are going to sign, who you guys are going to bring in, um, because, you know, Joe Burrow is a very smart guy. He's been around football for a very long, t- for a very long time. He knows what it takes uh, to win at the highest level. I mean, look at what he did at LSU. He had the single best uh, season of an SEC quarterback uh, in history, and won the national championship, and then before that, where was he at? Ohio State. He knows what it takes to win. He knows what guys it's going to take for this team to get to the playoffs and go on to the Super Bowl. Um, and so I think that Mike Brown, he knows he has to buy. Uh, you know, he has to buy in, and he has to spend you know as much money as he can in protecting Joe Burrow. And I think that uh, it's pretty prominent because most of the reporters for of the Bengals have come out and said. Uh, you know, in some form of, or shape or form that the Bengals are going to spend a lot of money in free agency. You know, Paul said that he's 80% sure they're going to spend uh, money to get two starting caliber offensive linemen. And uh, that's, um, you know, that's very uh, exciting to hear, at least for me. It is exciting because, and, and again, it's just all because of Joe Burrow and this generational talent that he is as a quarterback, and the fact that he's here, Mike Brown's realizing, okay, see, and this is also something that Paul and Jay have mentioned, this is a defining period of time for this front office, Mike Brown, Duke Tobin, Katie Blackburn, uh, all the front office members, this is a, a crucial time period for them, because you think about Joe Burrow's generational talent, He's already injured. You have to protect him so he doesn't get more injured. And who knows? He ends up being a bust, which would be a crying shame if that happened. The I, I, I'm not too concerned about this. I'm trying not to be at least. The lease on the stadium is up in 2026, which is um, shortly after Joe Burrow's rookie contract is up. And, and let me tell you something. You know, it's good that you're wanting to spend money now because when Joe Burrow's due, you better have the money to re-sign him. Because he's going to demand a lot of money when he when he's due for a contract extension. I'm talking maybe not Patrick Mahomes, probably not because Patrick Mahomes is in a class all by himself right now in terms of how much he's valued at. But you're going to have to pay Joe Burrow uh, upwards of you know nine figure money. Not upwards of you will pay him nine figure money, and I'm just thinking that that's why you know this is such a crucial time period for this regime because. The Bengals in the you know the past is they haven't won a playoff game in 30 years. You have had fans turn your turn their backs on this franchise. They find other things to do on Sundays, and it sucks for me to hear that as a fan because I I've made out my Sundays for the Bengals, and you have as well. I mean, I told you I'm going to buy season tickets, and I already have season season tickets. My family's had them 
since 68, you and I are talking about getting season tickets for next year. That's how big of fans we are, but there are others in Cincinnati that have turned their back on this team because of the same things happening over and over and over again, and they haven't won. Now, I've always, I've also said that the fact that they have not won a playoff game in 30 years makes every other, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Makes every other negative, makes every, uh, I feel like there's a word I'm trying to say here. It makes everything else that's a con about this organization or that they wish they would do better worse. If this organ, I mean, the Texans, like, for, you think about the Texans and the position there in Justin, for a while, like, we knew Bill O'Brien had his critics, we knew the front office wasn't the best, but 2011, 2012, 2016, and 2019, they won playoff games. I mean, Bill O'Brien, say what you want about him, he won in the playoffs. I mean, he, you can say, oh, he blew a 24-0 lead against Kansas City. Yeah. He also had him up 24-0 against Kansas City in the divisional round. Houston has been, outside of this year, a very competitive team. And them winning playoff games masked all the deficiencies that we knew were a part of that organization. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a... You know, I think that organizations like... Um, you know, I don't want to say the Texans, at least not right now, but or the Texans or the Vikings, um, you know, that should be the baseline because even though those aren't teams consistently getting to the Super Bowl or the um, AFC or NFC championships, those are teams that have won uh, a few playoff games over the last few years. And I think that, um, you know, that just needs to be a baseline, um, you know, at least get the Bengals to the point where, you know, at least they're winning some playoff games. And then, you know, maybe there's one year where you, uh, you know, load up on talent and you get to the Super Bowl, like the Rams. Um, you know, they've won some more playoff games after their Super Bowl appearance. So, uh, you know, I just, if, if the Bengals had at least won a few playoff games um, or made a AFC championship over the last, you know, 30 years, you know, maybe it'd be different. Yes. But, uh, we can't even really, we can't even say that we've, you know, seen that, you know, we've, you know, we've seen them make it to the playoffs, but then they lose in a, you know, tragic, uh, uh, tragic way like they did to the Steelers. And both. Why did you bring that up? I know, but, uh, you know, I think that having Joe Burrow here, he's going to be the guy that's going to do it for us. And, um, you know, it's just going to be a matter of loading up on the rest of the roster, loading up on talent, getting the best players at their respective positions. And, um, you know, the th whole thing with Carson Palmer is, you know, he got injured, um, later than, you know, he got injured obviously in the playoffs and then he returned for, uh, the preseason. Well, Joe Burrow got injured in his 10th game and you have to think about the te technological and the medical advancements there have been since 2005. I think it was 2005 that he got hurt. Yeah. It was the 06 playoffs, which was the 05 season. Yeah. And so think about all the advancements that they made in, uh, the medical field and technology. And so I think that Joe Burrow would just be fine. Uh, you know, it's coming from his own mouth. You know, he's saying he's going to be back for week one. So I have no doubt in my mind. Um, you know, I think that it's exciting to know that he'll be back, but I think it's also scary because you don't want him to get hurt again. You don't want him to re-injure the same injury. Um, and the only way to do that is to get the best guys in the NFL blocking for him and, you know, protecting him. Yeah, and again, it all goes back to Joe Burrow. And by the way, I know this was 15 years ago, this article by Michael Silver and Carson Palmer when that was written. 
if you have if for those listening if you have not read that article yet do yourself a favor and do so be- I I read I went back and read it last week it it is so it was really really good I mean just think about the article starts with Silver detailing Carson Palmer laying in the back of his Chevy Tahoe. His wife, Shaylin, is that, I think that's his wife's name, Shaylin. Um, she's driving, she's driving home and, you know, it talked about how they drove by the stadium where they're, I mean, they're, and, and Silver said, you know, where his team was still battling the Steelers. Like, just the, the wording and, you know, the images that, that, con, that the words conjure in your head. I mean, it was, it was really, really good, and it, it, it was, it almost made you, you know, tear up a little bit reading it. You know, here's your, here's the quarterback, the leader of the team, and he can't do anything about it. He's, he's being driven away from Paul Brown Stadium from his team that he quarterbacks, and he's driving home. They're listening to the game on the radio. He's watching the end of the game from his house, not there at the stadium, from his house. I mean, think about. Think about the psychology of an athlete in that situation. And here Michael Silver is trying to detail what that's like for the readers. Very, very well written. I don't know if you've read that yet, Justin, but I highly recommend um, Googling Carson Palmer Grueling Rehab and Sports Illustrated's Michael Silver wrote that back in 2006. That was back when you got Sports Illustrated every week. Now you get it once every month. (laughs) What kind of world are we living in? Uh, Anyway, so... I was going to hit on another point. I mean, look at the Chiefs. From 2013 to 2017, yeah, they won 10 games every year. They made the playoffs four times. They won some playoff games. Uh, They only won one playoff game, to be exact. It wasn't until they got Patrick Mahomes that they really, as you as you always say, ascended to greatness. And look what they've done the last three years. It, it, they they made the playoffs. That was the benchmark after years of futility, and now the expect and now they are a perennial Super Bowl contender, and they're going to be for the next ten years. And can you imagine if Patrick Mahomes wins his, wins his second Super Bowl on Sunday? I mean, that is beyond next level. Patrick Mahomes is already being compared to Tom Brady, who's easily the best football player of all time, and. Oh, yeah. You know, he's being called the baby goat versus the actual goat, uh, Mahomes versus Brady. Um, and I think that, you know, with the right pieces around him, I think Joe Burrow, maybe not on Patrick Mahomes' level, but I think that he can be right there with him, pretty I, close to it. Oh, I absolutely, I absolutely think so. I mean, you think about, and that's something too, and I mentioned this on Saturday with Zach on Sports Anyway You Want to think about the talent that's in the AFC at quarterback right now. Patrick Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. Look at the look at our division alone, Lamar, Baker, Burrow. Uh, who's the best quarterback between those three? You could say either one. Uh, Justin Herbert with the Chargers. I'll even put Derek Carr with the Raiders. I mean, there are. I mean, there is so. And wherever Deshaun Watson, if he stays in the AFC, think about the the quarterback depth in the AFC. It's unbelievable. And they're all so young, and they're so good, and they're going to be rich with contract extensions. And that's why I think Mike Brown's starting to realize it. I mean, the talent for the next 20 years that we're going to be talking about, and especially here in Cincinnati, it's exciting. For sure. And, you know, we hear all the time about how this offseason is going to be filled with, uh, you know, quarterback-needy teams either making a huge trade, 
uh, or getting a guy in the top of the draft that, you know, maybe some guys just got drafted, like Atua. Maybe they go quarterback, which I don't know if that will happen or not. But, uh, you know, Sam Darnold's only just finishes up his, just finished up his third year, uh, and they might draft Zach Wilson. Some of these teams that already have a young quarterback, um, you know, they might look to go get another quarterback in the draft. Uh, so it's kind of nice to say with Joe Burrow that we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to wonder who the quarterback for our team next year is going to be, yeah. but uh, rather who's going to be the guys protecting him and who's going to be the guys that he's going to be throwing the ball to and uh, the guys on defense who's going to be hopefully getting a lot of interceptions, give Joe Burrow the ball back in week one when he returns. Preston has said this on our show before. If, if, you, if you're sure about your quarterback and he's great, that's a great thing to that's a great thing to have. And that takes care of a lot of other things. Uh so you know here you know what I think we should do? I think in two weeks, on Swan, February the fifteenth, we'll do our first mock draft. We'll do a mock draft. Uh do we go all seven rounds? Because like, I've only familiarized myself with like, the top one hundred prospects. But I think maybe two or three rounds. Two or three rounds. Know. Okay, two or three rounds. So we'll go two or three rounds, mock draft. Before that, we got about three minutes left. So obviously, Sunday's a you know there's there's a game Sunday. Um, I think it's I think it's the Super Bowl. Okay, Super Bowl Sunday. It's Super Bowl week. It's my favorite week of the year. Uh, by the way, NFL Network was airing Super Bowl highlights of all 54 Super Bowls this past weekend. The film work on that is incredible. Man, I miss Steve Sable. <laughs> yeah, there's a uh, you know the work's definitely been different since. Uh, back then, but you know, it's still all been pretty high quality content for the respective oh, incredible. years. And you know what made me even more sad watching those was fans were in the stands. Packed, I mean, the stadiums were packed. There was, you know, hundreds of photographers on the sidelines. Ugh. Yeah. And I just don't know what that's going to look like this year. But nevertheless, it's going to be a great game. Chiefs, Buccaneers, who do you got? Listen, I said when the Buccaneers played the Packers, I can't bet against Tom Brady. You know, even though they didn't have necessarily the best regular season, uh, Tom Brady in the playoffs is, uh, you know, guaranteed to get you some wins. And um, I think I'm going to have to bet against Tom Brady this time. I Ooh. think with the young talent that the Chiefs have, Patrick Mahomes being, you know, the the great, you know, fantastic player that he is, I think that he's going to, um, you know, get his second Super Bowl ring in two years. And I think that uh, it will be a close game. But I think it'll be fun, a fun one, and I think at the end of the day that the Chiefs will be uh, hoisting the Lombardi Trophy. Score prediction. I'll go Chiefs 33, uh, Buccaneers 27. Yeah, I think, it's, I think there's going to be a lot of scoring in this game. Up until today, I was not tempted to bet against Tom Brady, but now I'm just thinking about, can I trust Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, to, to devise a way to slow down that Kansas City offense? I don't know if he can. But I do know this: Tom Brady's on the other side, and that's why I and that's why I'm not going to bet against Tom Brady. If this were Bill Belichick going up against this Chiefs offense, I would have total confidence in him devising a way to slow Kansas City down, or at least take away Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. But I don't know if Todd Bowles is going to be able to completely shut this down. I'll say Tampa Bay wins, though, just because I simply can't bet against Tom Brady. I'll say Tampa Bay wins this game, uh, 31 to 28. Well, that is going to be it for today's podcast. We want to thank uh, Paul Danner Jr. again yes. for coming on today. Uh, really appreciate him taking time out of his schedule to join us. Um, I'm Justin Cashman. He is Alex Frank. Thank you so much for listening to the BearCast Media Bengals podcast, and we will talk to you guys next week.